Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Today, we will be covering the case of Jelani Day. I have always wanted to make a TikTok about Jelani, and unfortunately, I never got the opportunity to do so. So now we get to finally dive in, which I'm excited about. We definitely are. And for those of you who listen to the podcast, we appreciate you guys being here every single week, listening to each episode that we do. Hopefully you guys are listening to each episode. We're also hoping to continue to grow this podcast and we want to continue to keep bringing you this content. I remember you wanting to do Jelani Day on TikTok and it was just not feasible at the time. And uh, I believe there is a bit of a story behind this. You are absolutely correct. This was somebody I wanted to connect to quite a while ago. It was actually around the time that the Gabby Petito case was going on. I had been angry about all the media attention that Gabby's case got and Jelani's case got absolutely nothing. Now, I don't understand what qualifies Gabby's case as something the FBI would pick up, but Jelani's case just had no sort of anything. The only person in this case that was truly doing anything was his mother, Cameron. Recently, over the last couple of days, I had actually gone looking on social media to see if there was any updates on his case, and his mom had done a video in relation to his case, giving us a little bit of an update. Honestly, the video itself just broke my heart. She sat there and cried and talked about how tired she was over and over again, and honestly, I think this is one of the reasons that I felt like I needed to do this case. And I believe the reason that Jelani has spoken to me now versus earlier is because I think it's time. So I found out that Jelani's father had actually passed away as well. And I think that he's ready for people to hear the rest of this story. Hopefully we can get some closure for his mom, especially his mom. So we dedicate this episode to her and all of her hard work trying to figure out all these pieces all by herself in her son's tragic unsolved cases is disheartening. Well, let's not waste any more time and let's get right into this. When Jelani initially went missing, there was very minimal information surrounding his case, which pissed me off as well. But a lot more has come to light now, which is great. More media coverage. So we have a lot more detail to work with. And the other reason I struggled to have a full episode was because we didn't have a lot to go off of. So I'm happy to say we can go ahead and do this. Jelani was born on June 15th, 1996 in Danville, Illinois. He is the second youngest of five siblings. They were very active in the church and he participated in the church choir and the purity classes. He was also part of the drill team and sat in on Bible study as well. His father had cancer, and when Jelani found out his dad did have cancer, he was a match for his bow marrow. And he stepped up and was the person for his dad so his dad could get treatment. Sounds like he was a very stand-up guy. That's incredible for him. He was extremely smart and athletic as well. He was an undergrad of the University of Alabama and went there to study speech pathology. And he also ran for track and field team as well. He was also an incredible swimmer. He was part of a fraternity. He wanted to be a doctor, help other people. He was honestly well on his way. He finished at the top of his class and he went to grad school in Illinois State University and he was in an extremely competitive school program. I mean, finishing the top of your class in an already competitive program is extremely hard, so good for him. He was living in an off 
campus apartment in Bloomington. And that was for his first year of grad school. And at the time, he was only 25 years old. He and his mother were extremely close, and he would often visit her in Danville, which was approximately an hour and 15 minutes away from where he lived at his off-campus apartment. Jelani and his mother talked every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. She called him her bill collector because they did talk often. On August 24th, 2021, Jelani did not show up for class. Now, obviously, missing class for grad school is like a big no-no. He was also supposed to be meeting up with the clinical director at ISU. They were texting each other the night before that they were supposed to meet up. But unfortunately, he never showed up for that either. Now, since he never showed up, she was going to assume that he would show up at least for class. But he never showed up there either. So she decided to call the university police. Now, Jelani's mother had last heard from him on the 23rd as well, and now it was the 25th of August, and she still hadn't heard from him, which was very unusual for him. Now, Jelani's older brother went with the police to his apartment to see if they could find anything, and they didn't find anything out of the ordinary. The only thing that was missing was his white 2010 Chrysler 300. Now, they were able to find two surveillance footage with Jelani in them, and on August 24th, the first one at 7.20 a.m. when he was found on campus at the Bone Student Center with a blue button-up shirt and black pants and black shoes and a mask. Now, the second sighting was at 9.12 a.m. that same day at Beyond Hello Dispensary in Bloomington, Illinois, around where his apartment was. In this time, he was wearing a completely different outfit, a more casual outfit, a Jimi Hendrix t-shirt and a baseball cap and some running shoes. They could see his car in the video, and he also took a look directly into the camera. Now, the police did not put any urgency into this, and the car ended up being found in the woods behind the YMCA in Peru, Illinois. In the vehicle, they found the outfit that he was wearing at the dispensary. And what they did not find was his wallet, his phone, his license plates on the vehicle. Very unusual. Now, the detective took the weekend off and his mom, Cameron, was very upset about this. I mean, who wouldn't be? She took matters into her own hands at that point. Cameron posted all over social media to help in the search for her son. Now, on Wednesday, September 1st, the family did a search for him. And September 2nd, his wallet was found. It was found in the bushes, apparently. I'm not sure exactly who found this wallet, but there was a statement that a girl noticed a man dropped the wallet and turned it in. Now, there was also a statement that the police found the wallet themselves. So we're not sure who actually found this wallet. Now, a linyard from ISU was also found. Not sure if it was his or someone else's. Now, on September 4th in LaSalle at 9.47 a.m., a body was discovered in the South Bank in Illinois River at the 251 Bridge. The police did not identify it to be Jelani as of yet. They did say it could take a couple of weeks before they would know anything because the body was severely decomposed due to the weather. Now, three weeks later, September 20th, there was still no identification on this body yet, which is extremely frustrating since there were so many efforts placed into Gabby Petito's case and really nothing in Jelani's. The coroner was disrespectful towards his mother because she had questions for him. 
So she decided to hire a private detective since no one else was helping her. Now, the body was finally identified as Jelani Day and dental identification from his family. They realized that the teeth were in such bad shape. So it took four dental practitioners to actually identify him. Now, this is extremely frustrating for the family that they had to wait. And I completely agree. I would be frustrated as well. There were two autopsies that were completed. September 5th, they indicated that the cause of death was drowning, but no evidence showing any trauma. Now, the second autopsy completed outside of the police was an independent autopsy. And the second person that completed it did not look at the first one because they did not want to be persuaded one way or another. This time, the autopsy, they did not find any signs of pre-death cause of death. And they basically stated it was drowning as well. There was a crazy article placed out into the world about how his body didn't have any organs. But the organs were removed from the first autopsy. They were just never put back. Not a case of organ harvesting, just bad conditions. Eyes were missing because of the environmental issues. As we said before, he was a very strong swimmer. So there's no way in hell that he could just drown, especially since his car wasn't around him at all. And he walked three miles to the river to just kill himself. Yeah, makes no sense. The FBI declined taking this case. To me, this is racial profiling at its best. I really believe that because Jelani was black extremely well-educated, no reason not to put their efforts in to save a man who's preparing his life to become a doctor. I absolutely agree. Now, not to say that Gabby's life was not important because everybody's life is, but his life really did genuinely matter as well. And we knew more stuff around this Gabby case versus Jelani. So he didn't ask for this either. So... Details did start to come to light in the last little while, and we're going to share them with you here. Now, there was a potential lead on Jelani's phone. According to a Facebook user, they stated that their worker was driving on an interstate and lost something. A mattress actually had fallen out of the back of the truck, and they pulled over to pick it back up. So when they picked up the mattress, they found a phone. The worker ended up taking the phone to Walmart to a kiosk. When they took it to the kiosk, they found out that this phone belonged to Jelani Day. Now the police got involved and they started to ask this guy a bunch of questions about the phone, like where he found the phone and everything and why he took it to Walmart. He said he took it there to get some money. Now the phone was shattered. The phone was also given to the FBI. At least that's what the police stated. They were able to also find a plastic blue straw. They were able to find a marijuana blunt cigarette as well in his vehicle. Now, about a week ago, Cameron made a live video and she was very frustrated with the Jelani Day task force. There was a woman by the name of Sarah Raymond, who was a police officer. And when this man was interviewing her, he had asked how things were going with the Jelani Day case. This woman just started laughing and smiling which is kind of really ignorant, if you ask me. Absolutely. Now, from the video I watched of her smiling and shaking her head and laughing, instantly I felt like the laughing and the smiling honestly did have nothing to do with Jelani's case, but rather Cameron. I feel like these police officers look at Cameron as a problematic mother who is constantly reaching out to them. And from what I gather, these police officers that are, you know, supposedly working the case 
often making fun of Cameron and telling her to chill rather than doing their job. So in that moment, we caught her showing how the police act behind her back. It is incredibly disgusting to me. And this woman has been promoted since Jelani's death. How in the hell is this type of police officer in charge of missing persons? It's honestly disgusting. And it is really fueling me when I had seen her laughing and smiling as well. Now, they were able to also obtain footage of Jelani on campus. His mother obviously is constantly watching all the details and notice him typing in a code on his phone. And apparently the FBI says they can't get into his phone, which is kind of strange to me. But they're saying that they can't get into it. They can't break into somebody's phone, which I don't understand. They have the world's best hackers. Yeah. Now, the story is that they couldn't get into the phone because they couldn't figure out his code, which I don't buy. I also feel like they didn't necessarily really want to get that phone open or they would have done it. They feel as though this is irrelevant. So honestly, they just didn't waste their time on it. Now they have very little evidence and due to the decomposition of his body, they should be taking everything that they can get seriously. I personally feel like they looked through his phone, scrolled through for a few moments, found nothing on the surface level. No genuine search. Probably laughed as they did it as well. Cameron had seen the video and she reviewed the video and the punching of the code. So she finally gets a meeting with this task force and they were able to punch in the code and they said they would look into it. I believe from what Cameron was saying that happened in April, they told her they would figure it out. And now we're sitting in July and just recently did they tell her that they were able to now get into this phone. And, you know, Cameron also had requested to be there during this time. And of course, they didn't comply with that either. But anyways, with Cameron being the only detective in this situation, I mean, she's literally the only one putting in any effort. She wanted access to his phone and they denied her. Considering they didn't find any evidence, they should be able to release it to her, no? They should be. Absolutely. It doesn't make any sense. I feel like they don't want to give her the phone because they don't want to give her more reason to harass them more often. I really feel like they use these big words. So in my opinion, they're trying to save themselves from the hassle from the mom, even though she's honestly the only one figuring shit out. I agree. Now, in fact, this detective by the name of Ty told her that there was nothing on this fucking phone. Those were his exact words. And basically told her to take her theories and shove it. According to Ty, the conversation on the phone that he was having was that he was talking about taking a test. There was nothing on the phone that had any relevancy. So guess what? They would not consider that evidence. Also, why would she believe them? She was the only one who brought all this information to their attention that she found this video of him punching in his code. They didn't even try to open it. And so why would they not give it to his mother? By the way, the police were holding back information. Even when they got this phone, they didn't tell her about it for a while because they didn't want to give her a sense of false hope. In my opinion, they just didn't want to hear her mouth. Now, another thing is that this is just making me very angry. The woman who apparently found his clothes... Their names have yet to be released, by the way. We do not know their names. It's very frustrating that they keep being bothered by the police and Cameron, apparently. They do not want to help anymore. So they are no longer trying to assist at all in this case. Why? Why are you not trying to assist? Like making accusations towards Cameron saying that she released the names of them, which she did not. I think she should, though, because they seem to be getting a lot of protection for whatever reason. 
Sounds like they're in on it a little bit, if you ask me. They're being pressured not to say anything. Anyways, I know for myself personally, if I found something that belonged to somebody who was murdered or missing or anything, I would do everything in my power to assist that family in every way that I can and give them any information, anything I've recalled over that time and give it all to them. I would not get frustrated and just be like, I'm not helping anymore. I mean, I'm sure that if it was one of their own family members, they would be all about it. It would be a different story. Or they would be upset if nobody was helping them. They'd be knocking on their door like, why aren't you helping? Another thing I want to mention that Cameron had mentioned on this live video is that his lungs only weighed 690 grams, which does not weigh the amount of someone who would have drowned. Their lungs would have been a lot heavier. So this story of him drowning is 100% inaccurate. Now, according to the police, his locations were also turned off on his phone and everything, and there might have been things that were deleted off of this phone, but they can't recover these deleted items, which is also very suspicious that the FBI can't find this stuff. And some of his teeth were missing, and he also didn't know anyone in Peru, so there would be no reason for him to be out in that direction. Now, I have been waiting for this one, so let's help Cameron as much as we can. All right, let's talk about a couple of things here first. Obviously, he was dressed up in his blue shirt and black pants at school, and obviously, he then later changed into comfortable clothing to go to the dispensary. Now, from what I gather, a lot of people that have been focusing heavily on why he would change and change back, honestly, it's because he went to this dispensary. He didn't want to go there all dressed up, and, you know, he just wanted to go dressed normally. He had no intentions of doing anything else other than going back to school, but unfortunately, something took place. I feel like he had been to that dispensary before, maybe a few different times, actually. You are correct. This is his dispensary he likes to go to. After he went to the dispensary, where did he go? I can tell you one thing. He was not headed to Peru. In fact, I feel like his vehicle was dropped off there, but we'll get back to that a little later. So where was he headed? I see that he wanted to go and eat something and smoke something before heading back to school. I keep seeing that he was eating some sort of fast food. I'm not exactly sure what, but I did check the area out. I had seen a steak and shake, a Chick-fil-A. There was even a Panera bread. So I feel like he wanted to smoke and eat privately. And I see that he headed into a pretty closed off area with a bit of a private spot where there would be no police patrolling and he could just eat and smoke before he goes back to school. I do see that in that time frame as well. He got changed in his vehicle at the place that he was smoking and he would have the opportunity to change his clothes with no interruptions. Now, being an avid smoker myself, I understand this struggle. I also would do something along those lines. So that makes sense to me. Now, was he there alone? He was there alone. I feel like he was having just a rough day in general, perhaps a lot looming, a test or something concerning that he might have been stressed out about. But from the sounds of it, it was not uncommon for him to be stressed out because he was very hard on himself. I see that he had set some goals and he showed me that he was planning to make a little extra cash on the side, do a few things to further his education and also being involved in community things, including church related things as well. I feel like he was just pondering a lot and while he was sitting out there smoking for approximately an hour. Did he talk to anyone on the phone during this time? 
It's very interesting because I do see that there were some interactions on his phone. I feel like he might have been texting a few people surrounding school stuff, like the police officer said, but I also feel like he was communicating with a female that he might have been flirting with, but I don't feel like it was anything, you know, extreme or major. I feel like he might have had a couple of conversations with a couple of people and also listening to music at the same time. I felt like a cop or maybe multiple cops or people are involved in this. You gave me the chills just now. Now, he showed me that before he left the dispensary, there was a police car patrolling. He told me to tell you that he didn't notice it. Obviously, extremely distracted. Normally, he does notice things like that. He's showing me that he did notice like there was a police officer in the area at the dispensary, but he did not notice that they were following him. I see them being two white police officers. I feel like one of them was very tall, brown hair. I would say he was approximately 35 years old, in pretty good shape. The other one, a lot younger. I would say he was very new to the job, also white, but pretty small in comparison to the first police officer. I even feel like he had blonde hair, maybe like a dirty blonde. Obviously, these police officers were partners. I feel like it was more so like a training type of thing going on, perhaps teaching this young police officer the ins and outs of being a cop in this particular county on this particular day. Obviously, he had gone to get food, like I said earlier. Now, I feel like the police had slowly been following him steadily behind. Jelani then did find a turnoff to where he could go smoke. And from what he showed me, he's been there before, so he knew exactly where to go. I think this was Ewing Park. I looked at this park, and there are three parts of it. There's the Ewing Park 1, 2, and 3. I'm not sure which entrance, but there is a photo that I had gotten a chance to look at that seemed pretty secluded and definitely a place I would go if I was trying to smoke in private away from people. So what happens next? I feel like so many things happened. Now, first and foremost, I want to mention that I do believe that the police had the option to turn their cameras off. And I feel like they may have turned them off because they were doing, I don't know, lunch. At least that's what they suggested that they were doing. Anyways, I feel like this cocky, arrogant police officer was trying to tell this other cop all the little bad things that he had done in the past. I feel like this kid had also had some kind of, I don't know, ignorant demeanor as well. I feel like they were having racial conversations prior to this too. I'm not entirely sure though, but from what I gather, both of these men were racially driven and automatically assumed that all black people were problematic. I feel like they were patrolling outside and had seen Jelani coming out of the dispensary and got back into his vehicle. I feel like they followed him all the way to the food place. I also feel like they followed him to the park as well. Now, from what I can see, Jelani was there for approximately an hour before he was approached. I see that he had enough time to roll a blunt, fix it, or whatever the case may be, including chatting with this girl. I believe they had some interactions for a while. I feel like they were definitely schoolmates. Had a bit of a flirtation undertone, like I said earlier. In the background, I see these police officers hadn't necessarily been that close by. I feel like they may have even lost the interest that Jelani had gone to. But from what I gather, they were able to spot him again fairly quickly. And I see that they approached him. Obviously, he was scared. He's a black man being approached by a police officer. But this, sadly, is not his first interaction with police officers. So he remained calm. I do see that he put out his blunt and he was letting the police officers know that he was getting ready to go back to school and he was just having some lunch. They didn't just leave it there, though. Absolutely not. 
They started accusing him of doing drugs and driving, and they started accusing him of carrying a gun on him. They made all kinds of unnecessary accusations while doing at least, I don't know, 100 violations. I see that they approached him in a way that was not legal at all. I feel like Jelani was very calm through this entire situation. Although scared, he told the police officer that he did smoke prior to lunch, and I think he made it seem like it was just a cigarette, not necessarily weed-related. Although you can smell it in the vehicle, the police officer told him that he was going to arrest him. Now, I believe that Jelani had some concern about his vehicle being left behind, and he told him he would call his mom or someone in his family to come pick up the vehicle. But I see that the police officer told him that they would get it towed at his expense and take care of it. Which, by the way, he did not want to, but obviously he was also informed that he could not contact his mother until after he had been arrested. I see that he actually took Jelani's phone right from him. I believe it was the new police officer that grabbed the phone. I feel like Jelani would have fought back if in fact it was just some random schmo. Now he was a strong guy, which makes sense that he would have fought back, not because of course that he wanted to fight a police officer, but he was trying not to get himself in any bigger of a situation than he was already in. Absolutely. I see that they took off with Jelani. Now, from what I gather, Jelani was extremely smart and noticed that the police officers were not heading in the direction of the police station. In fact, they were heading quite the opposite direction. He asked them where he was taking them. I feel like both police officers were consistently talking to each other and ignoring him. I feel like there may have been a call on the radio at some point, and they were both letting the operator know that they were looking into something suspicious. I also feel incredibly terrible for Jelani anyway because they decided to take him to another location. I believe that it was fairly close to Peru, perhaps fairly close to where they ended up leaving his vehicle. But I do see that they got out of the vehicle. I don't see that Jelani knew where this location was, but both of the police officers had him handcuffed and they were kicking him and punching him and I see that eventually he was shot. I feel like the older police officer told him that this was what they do to scum, and I do not feel like this was the police officer's first time killing others. I see that that's when they decide to drive to the river and dispose of his body. So what happened with his car? From what Jelani tells me, both of them went back to the site of where his vehicle was because they did not want his vehicle to be in their jurisdiction. I see that the older cop made the younger one drive it to Peru to make it look like someone had taken his wallet, his phone, make it look like a robbery. I see that the other police officer followed behind him, but I also see he was driving his own vehicle at this point. I see a blue small car, unsure of what kind exactly. I see that they chucked the phone, which by the way, when they took the phone away from him, it was open, so they were able to turn off the location on just about everything on the phone. But I do know for a fact that there are details on that phone that may show the path of where Jelani's phone had been. So one way or another, I'm going to say the police officers are definitely missing parts in things on this phone as evidence. I also feel like they smashed his phone before they got rid of it as well. They did this to make it look like, you know, he was robbed. Now, were any of these police officers in charge of assisting in Jelani's case? I really feel like at the time they were both involved in it because the body was not found in that county. They didn't have much involvement in the case itself, but maybe just at the beginning. 
I feel like both men have moved on to different forces. In fact, I feel like the older gentleman may have had another position of authority as well. The younger police officer, I feel like, was a rookie at the time. I know he was racially motivated, but I also feel like it haunts him to this day. I know that his intention was really not to hurt or harm anyone. I think he was just trying to show off, rather. But from what I gather, he's extremely terrified to come forward and talk about this older gentleman because he threatened that if, you know, it did ever come out, he would be the next to take a ride in the river. The police officer also knew that the evidence would be washed away in this particular river because he's done it in the past. He was hoping that they would never be able to find the body in any capacity. I felt it in my gut that the police were involved on this one. There would have been way more evidence, even with his vehicle, there would have been some sort of fight. It only makes sense that it was a person of authority because Jelani was not a bad kid and he wanted to make a difference for himself in the world. And he also knew that if he cooperated, he could have a better time, at least what he felt like. So I understand why he went along with it. Exactly. I know that him and his mom were extremely close and he was constantly screaming out he was sorry that he wishes he could have done more he wishes he didn't smoke that day he wishes he had gone back to school and just stayed at school he said he just was so stressed out he just needed a little break and he felt terrible about everything that his mother has to endure now now does anyone else know about this i don't think so but i do feel like he may have been acting a little suspicious at times when all this went down. I feel like if these police officers weren't so pissed off and annoyed with Cameron and, you know, and actually did their job, they would be able to realize that it was something on the inside. But because they all have each other's backs, no one has ever come forward. So what happened with his license plates that went missing? I feel like the license plates have been placed in this guy's home somewhere, in a box perhaps, but I do feel like he still has the plates to this day. The plates obviously were taken to make it look like a robbery. Now, do you feel like his mom will ever get justice for this case? I hope so. I'm hoping that the tools that we're given here today, the details I'm giving her might help figure things out just a little bit more. I believe there will eventually come a day that something will happen. I do feel like she's going to continue to be the only one to make things happen. I also feel like the police officer was just another significant piece as to why things moved extremely slowly but they have all had this attitude in the police force. I'm glad that she's tried to turn everything over to the FBI, but sadly, when the FBI says no, they mean it. They definitely normally do not come back from that unless there's some sort of higher evidence that they can see. I just wanted to fill in the gaps for everyone. He's also sitting on the other side, frustrated as hell. <laughs> with how everything went down. He did everything he needed to do and he did it right. He went to school, he worked hard, he didn't fight with the police, he didn't do anything to get himself in trouble and somehow, some way, he still ended up dying at the hands of the police officers <sighs> to continue on this ridiculous stigma. Does Jelani have anything else that he would like to share with us? He wants everyone to know that he appreciates everyone's efforts in all of this and he wants people to help his mom out a little more. He knows that life goes on, and unfortunately, we can't stop our lives to solve cases, but he wants more people to help her. He says she doesn't sleep. She is barely a person anymore, at least the way she used to be. And even just getting a little bit of justice, a little bit of closure will help her more than you'll ever know. He wants people to genuinely do things for her. He misses her so much and his family. He misses his siblings. He misses his church. He misses everything. He misses his old life. He just wants everyone to know that he would have been somewhere special, at least starting to go in that direction at this point. 
and he just wants everyone else to know that he's going to keep fighting the same way his mom's been fighting. No justice will be had until he has justice for her. I know this case meant a lot for you and I as well, so we're both very happy to bring this information forward. Please make sure to share this everywhere, guys. If there are any groups or people that you know that are in that area and would like to hear this, please share this with them. Now, next week, we will be covering the case of Jim Morrison, and we know a lot of you have requested this one. So until next time, guys, stay freaked out.